Hey everyone, welcome to the weekly podcast of Friends Church. My name is Bryce, and I am thrilled that you're tuning in. Friends Church is a spiritual community based out of Calgary, Canada, with people tuning in from all over the world. With a focus on people who don't fit traditional churches, our goal is to inspire people to a spirituality that will change both their lives and their worlds. Before we get to the message, I want to say thank you to those of you who are supporting this ministry financially. Seriously, thank you for being a part of this. Your generosity is making everything we're doing actually possible. And if you haven't yet, but find these messages helpful for your journey, would you consider donating? It's really easy and would help us so much. Just go to friendschurch.ca slash donate. Thank you for considering this. We hope our messages will continue to inspire you to a spirituality that will take water to your world. This whole series is based on an interview I heard with Esther Perel talking with um, an interviewer. And she was talking about this word, erotic. And she said, no, 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 erotic is anything that feels like life, like life-giving. It's not just narrowed down. Erotic, the word kind of starts to, to narrow down into this, like, oh, it just means sex or something like that. No, she had this broad definition. What gives you life? And Jeff started his message with a, a Russian story. It was a, it's a parable. Someone says to a, a, a man who doesn't have anything, a peasant, says, whatever land you can touch with your feet in one day cycle from sunrise to sunset, it's yours. Sun comes up, the guy starts running just as fast as he can. It's like the, the rule was you have to get back to the beginning. So the guy runs as far as he can. By noon, he's like, oh, crap, oh, crap, okay, I'm getting tired, but whatever, I'll run back. Comes running back, and he's like, in his head, you can see, he's like, I have just these huge tracts of land. I'm going to be so wealthy. My life is going to be so good. Gets back to the beginning, but he's still got like an hour on the sun's kind of right there. It's just like, I want more. So he starts running this way. And you could just tell in his head, he's just like, I'm going to be so loaded. This is my life. You know, all my problems are going to go away. He gets to the end. He's like, okay, I've got to get back. He comes flying back just before sunset. And he dies. He's done all of this to try and get something. And in the end, he's got Nothing. How many of us can look at our lives and go, there's times when I've been running (laughs) and I swear when I cross the finish line. (laughs) We use the word vitality to say, what's the opposite of that? What's a life that you look at and you go, now that was worth doing. And Jeff explored, he started to open our minds to it, broaden our understanding. Now, as soon as we start talking about the erotic, about pleasure, about vitality, I know you all. I know where your brains are all going. And we're going to go there today. It's not going to be super uncomfortable, but it's going to be a little uncomfortable. If you're squirming right now, it's all good. But what I want to try and do, I have an agenda today. I want you to start to look at your life through the level of vitality, of physical pleasure. This can be anything eating good food. Any foodies out there? Where's Rob Art? Okay, yeah, good foodies. Rob, Alita's husband, he cooks all of our community lunches. That guy just, everything he touches tastes good. He lives for it. 
I saw him at uh, Costco the other day. He couldn't even make eye contact. He was so focused on his food buying. <laughs> it was also Costco, so that makes sense. Anyone feel pleasure in physical movement? Runners, people who go to the gym, dancers. That feeling of, for me, it's always when I climb to the top of a mountain. I'm exhausted, everything hurts. And I get up there and I look around and I'm like, oh, this is all worth it. My partner, as we were going up, he hadn't hiked for a while. I asked him, hey, how's it going? He's like, not having fun, not having fun. We got to the top, suddenly the fun meter just like goes off the charts. Because there's something about being up there. My body's exhausted, but I got to the top. Pleasurable. What brings pleasure to you? What feels good? Anyone, people who go for massage, don't put up your hand. Massages, that feeling of someone moving your body in a way that's like, oh, yeah. For me, it's, uh, I drink, one second, the camera guys are going to hate me for this, but whatever. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Apologies. I don't have, I have some vices, but black tea. I go to the place called the Tea Trader. I spend a lot of money on tea. But to like a delicious, oh, there we go. Some fellow tea drinkers. There's something about, I get up in the morning a little bit before my alarm. I sit down on the couch. I sip my first cup of tea. And I can just feel my body settle into that couch. And it's just like, <sighs> physical pleasure. Now, as soon as I start talking about physical pleasure, things get a little tricky, right? In the immortal words of, who's the guy who wrote Simpsons? Uh, Greening or something like that? Matt Greening? I swear the guy grew up in the meadow. If you don't know the metaphor, listen to the last couple messages. He grew up in traditional church, and so the Simpsons has this beautiful commentary on the Christian tradition as it relates to pleasure. And what I want to try and do today is I want to take what he thinks is going on, and I want to try and undermine it using the Bible. I want to try and show you that Matt Greening's view of pleasure in Christianity is not part of our tradition. That's my goal. And we're placing bets on whether I'm going to pull this off or not. So Matt Greening, through the character of Ned Flanders, has this wicked quote, him and Homer, who's, you know, us. Um, Homer says, uh, Flanders, why did you call the cops on me last night? Ned, because he talks like an idiot, says, I had to, I heard a hubbub. And Homer's like, well, what did I do? Like, why did you call the cops on me, you jerk? And Ned Flanders says, well, I can't say for sure, but as a Christian, I assume the worst, because it sounded like you were enjoying yourself. Anyone have that flavor in your mind? Okay, there's pleasure, but like the Christian side is like, well, we're not sure about that. You can eat good food, but mm, maybe not too good. And if you enjoy something a bit too much in your body, that's probably bad, right? There's a hubbub. I'm pretty sure you're doing something wrong. I, I talked to one guy about this. I was like, hey, how is physical pleasure for you? He's like, it's all bad. Like, I grew up Catholic. It's all bad. I have to feel guilty about everything. <laughs> Anyone have that subtle sense that if it feels good here, it's probably bad spiritually? 
people will say to me sometimes, they'll come in here and they're uh, wearing an outfit and they're, they're, you can tell that they, they really like how they look. But they're like, is it okay if I come into a church with this on? Because physical pleasure, enjoying clothes and church. One lady, she told me when she first came to Friend Church, she wore what she called her church dress. It was a black dress that went right to her top of her shoes, right to here, right to here, black. Because she's like, well, in growing up, church meant if you enjoy yourself, something's wrong. Can you feel the flavor we have? We don't party a whole lot. We feel a bit guilty about things. And again, if we start getting into the, we're going to talk about sex, but we'll put it over there for now. When we start getting into the sexual part of our lives, it's just all bad and bad and bad. So the question I have for you is this. Is that part, let me even say it differently, is that a fundamental part of the Christian tradition? If something feels good in our bodies, is that fundamentally wrong in the Christian tradition? The argument I want to make today is no. Jeff actually gave us the key to it last week. Do you remember him talking about dualism? I'm going to do a couple of jumps here. I'm going to simplify things. I think the primary problem that we have, the Ned Flanders in all of us, the feeling of guilt and shame, the part where we, re, we suppress sexuality, we suppress uh, pleasure, all in the name of spirituality, I think it's not from our tradition. I think it's from something called dualism. Now, dualism is this philosophical idea. It came through the Greco-Roman era, and it basically says... <laughs> You're going to get this pretty straightforward. Anything that feels good in your body is bad. In fact, your body's bad. Desires of the flesh are bad. Anything of the spirit, good. So, let's do a quiz. That felt good in my stomach. Good or bad in dualism? Right. That didn't feel good at all. In fact, it was kind of painful, but, you know, I was praying while I did it. Good or bad? See how dualism works? Anyone feel like, well, that's Christian, right? That's our, from our tradition. It's actually not. So I'm going to give you a timeline. Oldest part of our tradition, intertestamental period, newest part of our tradition. Right here, in the newest part of our tradition, there is a movement beside us philosophically called dualism. It came from the Greco-Roman culture. Philosophers saying, hey, maybe if we lived our lives thinking that the flesh is bad, that will be something valuable to us. And the Christian tradition, running side by side, starts to kind of starts to intersect the Christian tradition. We have thousands of years of nothing like that. Nothing. I'll show you this. And right at the end, we have this beginning where anything that feels good in our bodies is bad. Anyone know, you know, the monastic tradition, monks? They deliberately wear uncomfortable clothes. They deliberately sleep in uncomfortable beds. They deliberately are cold and hungry, and they eat bland food, and their life just sucks. Like, does anyone want to be a monk? 
You have to give up all worldly pleasure, all physical pleasure, nothing. So that I've beaten the bad out of me, right? So that I can find this spiritual good. But is that our tradition? Is dualism something that came along and we just kind of like held hands with it and then we just never let go? So the last 2,000 years we're like, well no, dualism is Christian, right? Or is this a philosophical tradition that we've inherited and then we mistook it for the Christian tradition? Let me tell you a story. There's a, a wedding Weddings in ancient Near East, so Jesus' era, were parties. Don't think, come to a church, put on a suit and you know, dress or whatever you wear, and like, have some guy like me say the thing. I now pronounce you man and wife. That's not wedding. That's our wedding. Their wedding is party. Big party. So Jesus goes to a party. Does anyone picture Jesus as a party goer? Rave headband or something? I don't know what he's wearing. He goes to this party, and as the party's going on, what happens is they run out of alcohol, wine. Now, what would you expect from a dualistic point of view? Jesus should be like, well, I told you guys, this is bad. But here's what happens, and this is the part that I find problematic with dualism. Because dualism states he shouldn't want to do anything about this wine situation. This should be good. Ned Flanders is not comfortable with wine being at a party, right? But Jesus does something different. It says they get these big canisters of water, alakazoo, alakazam, boom, becomes wine. Jesus turns water into wine. Wine. Think about that for a second. Jesus went on a beer run for a party. Dualism states, well, that can't be happening, right? And the way you do it, so you guys all know I'm a bit of a geek. There's a word called hermeneutics. It's the questions you ask of a text. If, you're, if you do say like a... a Liberation hermeneutic, you say, how is this text speaking to liberation movements? You can also do what's called a tradition hermeneutic. It's ask the questions of the text, how can this text support what I believe? Right? This is my tradition, dualism. The flesh is bad, drinking's bad, wine's bad. Jesus, water into wine. Well, that's tricky. So how do I deal with that? What I do is I say, I use a tradition hermeneutic and I say, tell me text how you can support dualism. And so what scholars have done for years is they were like, well, Jesus, he only did like a cup of wine. It was just this much. You couldn't even like get a sip and then it was over, right? Because lots of wine is way too pleasurable. We can't have that. And yet the story says the jugs are about this big. Other people are like, well, Jesus can't be going to a party because that doesn't make sense. So tell us how Jesus is not going to a party. And so what they say is Jesus didn't go to a party. He went to a supportive friend who was getting married that happened to be at a party, but he had nothing to do with the party. There was no partying. (laughs) Do you see how we do it? 
We hold on to a belief, dualism, and then we ask the text this question, tell me how you can support my belief. And yet you look at the story, There's, the story ends this way. The, the host of the party comes with the, the new wine that Jesus has just brought. And he takes a sip and he's like, this wine's bloody good. Like, he didn't understand what had gone on. He's like, but you saved the best wine for the last. So not only did Jesus make wine, he made incredibly tasteful wine. That wine that, you know, it sits in your tongue and you're like, oh, that's amazing. You can feel it coming down your, your, your esophagus into your stomach. You feel that warmth. That's the wine Jesus made. Can we hold that and dualism together? Or is dualism starting to get a little bit shaky? Let me go a step further. There's one, uh, Jeff said it was, he looked at it through the lens of uh, King Solomon. Whether King Solomon wrote it or not, we don't know, but he said this quote. He said, uh, can you throw up the one from Proverbs for me, please? I probably didn't label them very well, I apologize. So eat honey, dear children, it's good for you, and the delicacies that melt in your mouth. Just sit with that for a second. Ancient Near East, there's no high fructose corn syrup. The sweetest thing in the history is honey. We haven't figured out how to refine beets and sugar cane. It's honey. The commandment is eat sweet, delicious foods. I especially like the delicacies. In my mind, pastries. I'm a good Mennonite. Anything with dough, I'm a big fan of. The Bible says eat dough. Dualism says, no, no, don't eat dough. Don't eat sweet things. That's bad. Monastic people, you should have bland food that doesn't taste like anything that's definitely not sweet. Another um, writer writes this. All of life, if there's anything you want in life, it's to eat good food, drink good wine, and enjoy your life. How do you hold all of these texts through this lens of dualism that says, okay, but wait, this can't be right. Because if it feels good in our bodies, it's got to be wrong. And in our tradition, over and over again, has these things of going, no, no, it feels good. Jesus on a beer run. What do you do with that? My thesis today is this. Maybe it's time to let dualism go. Maybe it's time to let that guilt go. Maybe it's time to reconnect ourselves. Not spirit is good, body is bad. If it you know, doesn't feel good, then I'm probably doing something right. If it feels good, then I probably should feel guilty. Could we let that go and follow our tradition towards physical pleasure? We're going to take this a bit further. But if you're open to it, I have a spiritual exercise for you right now. Uh, we're going to have a coffee break. I have coffee out there. I have fresh baked cookies. I have chocolates and candies. Pleasurable. The Bible says. So, 
Pleasure isn't about like sitting there and wolfing down as fast as you can. Pleasure is, I'm, so I'm going to try and encourage you as strongly as I can, go out there and eat something that's not necessarily good for you, but feels good in your body. And be aware of what's going on. Feel the taste on your tongue. Feel the little chocolate chumps melt in your mouth. Feel the dopamine. Be mindful of it. If you feel shame coming up or guilt or like, oh, I probably shouldn't be doing this or like, oh, da, 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 da. Sit with that too. Just breathe and be like, okay, what's going on? Am I still connected to dualism? You know, <laughs> this can't be good. It, tastes, it can't be good for me because it tastes good. Or is there part of the Jesus story? Bring incredible wine. Eat sweet foods. Enjoy your life. So if you're open to it, we're going to take about three, four minutes. Go outside, eat some cookies, have some fun. We'll come back in a few minutes. <laughs> okay, could that be any more spiritual? <laughs> Wasn't that great? Any twinges where you're kind of thinking, wait, are we allowed to dance and sing this stuff at church? I know like I have this kind of open mind, I can talk about this stuff, but there's, there's a side of me that always is a bit like, it's like the voice of my mother in my head or something like that. Okay. So I tried to say, look, the Christian tradition has this whole history of celebrating, in fact, commanding pleasure. Now, some of your brains are going to say, well, like, does anything go? Jeff will take care of that next week. I put a lot on his shoulders, huh? Any problems you have with my message? So Jeff's going to deal with it next week. Anyways, um, so <laughs> the Christian tradition mandates, but we have this dualist tradition that says, no, no, it's a philosophical tradition that says, no, no, if the body feels good, it's bad. Now, you guys knew I needed to go towards the sexual part of life. And again, I want you to think broadly sexual, not narrow, not like whatever, straight, blah, blah, blah. Think as broadly as you can. Things that feel pleasurable in your bodies. There's a reason we call, you know, a cake sinfully delicious. It's because it has a flavor that's like, oh, almost like sexual in feeling. Now you're thinking, of course, the Bible for sure is definitely against anything around, like physical pleasure around sex, right? That can't be. So let me take you in baby steps first. There's an entire book on sex in the Bible. Did you know that? It's called Song of Songs. It's basically just hot sex poetry. So let me, let me start you. There's a, it's a, this couple happens to be straight. They're not married. Or at least there's nothing to mention they're married. But they're having this romance. And it's not like they go to prayer meeting together or read their Bibles together. That's not what's going down here. Our spiritual ancestors recorded this interaction. Can you throw up the first quote for me? I think this is the uh, woman... This is what she says about her lover. My dear lover glows with health, red-blooded, radiant. My golden one, pure and untarnished, with raven black curls tumbling across his shoulders. His eyes are like doves, soft and bright, but deep-set, brimming with meaning like wells of water. Fine muscles ripple beneath his skin, quiet and beautiful. His torso is the work of a sculpture, hard and smooth as ivory. He stands tall like a cedar, 
strong and deep-rooted. For those of you who don't know Hebrew poetry, she's saying he's hot. <laughs> like super freaking hot. And not like spiritually hot, his body is hot. I gave you guys the PG version because it goes further than that. There's a whole bunch of reference to all kinds of body parts. And he, she likes them. She sees her lover and is like, you look good. I hope this isn't too much information, but the other day I'm thinking about this pleasure message. I come into the bathroom, my wife's getting out of the shower and I'm like, damn. <laughs> I like you. But there's something about me that's going like, oh, uh, spiritual? Well, uh. And yet, our spiritual ancestors said, no, no, no. We're going to record this for all times. The woman, or the man responds about the woman. Can you throw the next quote up for me? Shapely and graceful, your sandaled feet and queenly your movements. Your limbs are lithe and elegant, the work of a master artist. Your body is a chalice wine filled. Your skin is silken and tawny, like a field of wheat touched by the breeze. Your breasts are like fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is carved ivory, curved and slender. Your eyes are wells of light, deep with mystery, quintessentially feminine. Your profile turns all heads commanding attention. By this point, you guys got it figured out, right? You know what her response is? He thinks I'm hot and I like it. She's showing off for him. I look good. You look good. This interaction of looking at each other and seeing the beauty in each other is pleasurable. And our spiritual ancestors wrote it down. Now, dualism, someone just at the coffee break said to me, you know, I heard an entire sermon about how when Jesus turned water into wine, that wasn't wine. He's like, the whole service was, it can't be wine because that would be pleasurable. My favorite way of taking the Song of Songs and making it not about people enjoying the visual of another person is this. There's one line, uh, I can't remember who says it, but he's describing the woman, she's, she's wearing a robe, and her robe's low cut, and she has a bag of myrrh, so a uh, smell like a, a fragrant like perfume, right here between her breasts. And the, the, the poetry describes how this bag of myrrh's right there. So she's got a, a low thing. You can see the bag of myrrh. It's smell. It's burling him in. He's paying attention to her breasts, which, again, we shouldn't be doing, right? There's all these bad things. That's dualism. But they're celebrating it. That's the Bible part of it. It's like, this is great. So scholars who are dualistic say this. No, 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 no. This can't be beautiful breasts because that would be wrong. What the breasts represent is the Old and the New Testament. <laughs> Seriously. And the bag of myrrh is Jesus who's between the Old and New Testament. <laughs> That is a solid commitment to dualism, isn't it? <laughs> now, we all do this all the time, so I'm taking the piss out of them a little bit. Let me just say, every hermeneutic does this. But when you're not part of that belief, it's like you can see the dualism, it's fighting so hard to make everything fit. Poetry, about two lovers who are into each other, who think each other are gorgeous. It can't be about that because we're committed to this. There's one section 
Can you throw up the next quote for me? The woman is, uh, I just want to read it so I say it exactly right. This is her. I was undressed and in my bed, dreaming of my lover, wishing he would come into my room. Dualistic interpretation? Prayer meeting. (laughs) This interpretation, she's naked, thinking about her lover, wishing he would come to her. At one point, later on in the night, he comes and knocks on the door. A late night rendezvous for prayer meeting, right? And it says she puts on a robe, but she opens the door and her hand is still wet. This isn't Vince. This is the Bible. Y'all thought it was boring, didn't you? Again, dualism. Well, she tripped and her hand fell in a bucket of water. (laughs) This side says, maybe she's enjoying physical pleasure. Could we open ourselves up to a world where physical pleasure is spiritual? So I'm going to, I have to, I'm going to take a step back here for a second. I have a bias. Can you tell I have a little bit of an edge towards the dualistic side of things? (laughs) It's like I'm taking every cheap shot I can at them. It's because of me. A couple of years ago, maybe a couple decades ago, I had come out of seminary, started working for Friend Church, but it wasn't Friend Church. It was something different. And they said, Vince, you have all this original language training. You studied the Bible. We want you to create a position paper. This is what we did in those days. On premarital sex. That means sex before you're married. Just so you know, again, the dualistic approach to the lovers is they're married. Does it say they're married? No, but they have to be married because that's what we believe they have to be. So they said, Vince, I want you to write a position paper on premarital sex and how it's bad, right? They didn't say the last line, but that was the gist of it. I was like, okay, whatever. So I go to my Bible to look for the verse that I've lived my entire life feeling guilty about. There's a verse. It says, thou shalt not have premarital sex. I was raised with it. I lived my life with it. Every time I did something bad, I felt bad about it. Okay, maybe it's just not in English. Maybe it's in Greek or Hebrew, so I ripped that out. I have lived 30 years of my life believing that the core of my spiritual tradition is against physical pleasure, except in a very narrow, defined thing. But it's never been in the Bible. It was dualism. My tradition said, anything sexual is bad. Therefore, when I looked at the Bible, which is what I thought I was being a part of, uh, the Christian tradition, I thought, wow, this is gorgeous. It's not there. And I was furious. How dare you lie to me for 30 years? How dare you put that much guilt and shame, and I'm going to try and keep the swearing down at this point because I can still feel it. How dare you 
That's why I have an edge when I talk about this. I can still feel the anger. And for me, it's been fairly simple. I'm pretty much straight, white dude. I don't have to worry about sexual orientation, sexual expression, different people, different things. Mine was pretty straightforward. For all the other people, you're going, wait a second. It was never in the Bible. What the actual... I still can't engage fully in physical pleasure and have it be connected to my spirituality. I got too many years of that being villainized in my head. It's still, I do well, I do better, but I'm not there yet. I read a book on female purity movements. It's this idea that Christian women had zero sexual interaction until they were married, zero connection to their own physical pleasure. That was all shut down and all the damage that did. And I was like, wow, that must be hard for them until I read it and I realized, oh shit, I'm part of that. I grew up with that. So if dualism as a philosophical movement, separate from the Christian tradition, what would happen if we let that go? I'm not saying you need to. What happens if we let that go and do our spirituality this way? We can eat a cookie. And it becomes spiritual. Our spiritual ancestors said at one point, a metaphor, a poem, the creator created everything and it was good. The creator created humans and we were very good. Where in your life can you reconnect to pleasure? Is it sitting down after a long day? Is it eating incredible food? Is it more Song of Songs time stuff? What would happen if we started to not feel bad anymore? Not shame, not guilt, but use that as a connection to something inside of us who we are, if you want to use the metaphor, who we were created to be. This next week, it's not just going to be able to eating cookies every day, although if that's your thing, have at her. I want you to start paying attention. Pay attention to everything. When I sit down, do I feel guilty because I'm not being productive? When I wear this and I feel good, maybe it's because it's the feeling on my skin or how the world reacts to me. Does that feel okay? Is there a dialogue? Oh, you can't do that. That's bad. Prioritizing things of pleasure, 
no, no, stop, stop, stop. Stop working. Stop running to try and get more land. Maybe I need to go for a massage. One of those floats. Anyone do those floats? It's like salt bath float. Oh, we got some floaters in the world. For me, good sounding music. I love that we get to have the music that we have here and it sounds good. I don't know why, but it just brings me pleasure. Pay attention this week. Don't take it and just try and like turn it over like, woohoo! Probably what you need to do is start to figure out kind of the ebbs and flows of where are these things? Where's dualism stuck in your brain? Where's their little voice going like, no, 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 not that, not that. Whoa, whoa. What does this voice say? We have these incredible bodies. There's a reason why our tradition talks about creation. Because it feels like there's a meaning and a purpose to this. What would it look like to get in touch with that this week? How uncomfortable have we been today? We do okay? Did the cookies help? Cookies make everything better, don't they? Whatever problems you have with this, Jeff is going to come back next week and solve. <laughs> what he's actually going to do is he's going to talk about the moral framework of pleasure. Because right away as we go to, you know, dualism says, if we say yes to anything, everything goes. No, that's just the voice of dualism. There's a way to do this artfully and beautifully and consensually. That's next week. Don't miss it. Have a great week. Eat some more cookies. We'll see you.